Hello and welcome to the Intergalactic Express, a wild romp through time and space. Pshoom. That's the music. Jeez, I like music. I'm doing that after the music. And again, welcome. I'm one of your hosts, Seth, and with me is Alex. Hello. And Candy. Ahoy hoy. So today we're going to be talking about some real optimistic topics. We're going to be talking about death, grief, and catharsis through storytelling. I do like a good bit of catharting. I always love catharting all over the place. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about two games in particular along with this topic. What Remains of Edith Finch and That Dragon Cancer. Two games that very much revolve around death and loss and mourning, which goes well with our topic, surprisingly. <laughs> but first... Almost like we planned this. Almost. <laughs> first of all, we're going to be diving into a quick little segment where we're going to talk about what's hot in each of our lives, because theoretically, each of us have something that's very exciting in our lives that we are really into right now. We just want to talk about ourselves. Yeah, a little bit, a yeah. little bit. We want a little chance to just bring up other things that we think are cool that aren't related to death. Or maybe they are, in my case. (laughs) (laughs) Makes it sound like we're going to be like, what's hot in my life? Well, I just died. (laughs) I just killed a man earlier today. Seth, what's hot in your life this week? The new N.K. Jemisin book, The Stone Sky, which is the final book in the trilogy, the Broken Earth trilogy, um, preceded by, what's the first one called? The fifth season, and then Obelisk Gate, and they're amazing <laughs> books that are told largely in second person, which I think is awesome, because nobody does that, but it's done so well, it just works. Um, I listen to them in audiobooks, because the narrator, whose name I've now forgotten, is amazing and captures all the emotion and nuance of the story, just by talking. Though, unfortunately, one of the characters sounds a bit like, you know that one comedian who uses the puppets? The lady with the puppets? Nina Conti. Yeah, her. She's got the monkey. I love her. Yeah, one of the one of the voices in the book sounds like that monkey. <laughs> and then, <laughs> whenever she does that voice, I'm just like, oh no, it's the monkey. <laughs> yeah, so that's what's on my life. I definitely cried at the end of the book. It was it was really good. Well, I'm I've got it on reserve at the library, and I'm very excited about it. So look forward to us talking about that in a bit when I've finished it too. Ooh. Heck yeah! I'm not going to read it. No, but it's so good. All right, Alex, what's on your life? Oh, me. Um, yeah. I recently bought tickets to go and see Billie Eilish. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, no, she's a uh, 15-year-old performer from- She's 15? Yeah, she's 15 years old. Jeez. Is her middle name really Pirish? Holy shit, her middle, her middle name really is Pirate. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, she's oh, Yeah, she's from the States. She, her music is really, really cool. Um, I guess if you like new music- Check her out. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. I got tickets with you, right? Yeah. No, you're going with me. I'm like, I'm like, wait, I'm going for that. I remember this. <laughs> yeah. All right, Candy. What's hot in your life? Um, I've been playing Rhyme recently, which is Ooh. lovely, but I've been playing it in very short bits and I was like, I was just getting into the level that I was up to and then suddenly everything changed and now I'm a bit frustrated because I always get frustrated in video games when- like, any time the world opens up, basically, I get a bit overwhelmed and quit. Don't play Horizon so Zero Dawn. <laughs> I'll stick it out and see oh how God I go. Um, Where did you just get up to in it? Because I, I played that for, like, 
quite a few hours straight. And I think I might be quite far through it, but I'm not sure because it keeps opening up I again. Just, I, I just finished like the island section. The, the, I don't. I mean, like I've just opened up into a whole different level of the world where there's like windmills and pterodactyls and shit. Oh, you're further than me then. Also, I've uh, just started playing Fire Emblem Awakening, which is very exciting. And I look forward to seeing if it's as good as everybody said it was, you know, five years ago. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I know that feeling. That's me with every game. Advantage is that I've forgotten all the spoilers that I'm sure I read five years ago. So, it feels like going in blind. That is the one plus to playing odd games. I do love going in blind. Ooh, blocking you from this podcast. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Let's get into the actual proper topic of this podcast episode. Um... I feel like I didn't need to say podcast there, but it's happening now. So we're going to be talking about the power of storytelling to convey deep human emotion and real experiences or fictional experiences that feel real <laughs> that help us as creators and audience to work through mourning and loss. Um, games, I feel in particular, can be a really strong medium to capture and express experiences because of their interactivity and because they can be so, like, <laughs> they can cover so many genres and so many types of platforms as well like not just like gaming platforms but like they could be anything basically if it's interactive and you can play it as a game um so as i said before we're gonna be talking about two games in particular what remains of edith finch which came out earlier this year which has been praised a lot for its innovation and interesting ways of telling stories through game mechanics and also that dragon cancer which is well known somewhat if you don't know about it then (laughs) obviously it's not as well known as i thought (laughs) um for its autobiographical nature in telling the story of two parents losing their son to cancer. Um, So that dragon is literally cancer in the game. Um, They are both games that deal a lot with loss and mourning and death within families. Um, That dragon cancer is obviously autobiographical, so it's based off of a lot more real experiences and actual conversations as opposed to Edith Finch, which is a more abstracted, more (laughs) fictional, hopefully 100% fictional story. Um, but they both still feel very real. Um, Edith Finch doesn't, even though you know that they're fake characters in a fictional story, they still feel like real people somewhat. First of all, we're going to talk a bit about what we thought about the games as their own things. Kind of removed from the topic, but not entirely. Um, Edith Finch is a story where a young woman goes to her family home for the first time in a long time and discovers why her family members died not all at once just amongst their lifetimes um (laughs) goes and explores the legacy of her family pretty much and tries to find out about the family curse that's killing everyone um it's a lot less weird than it sounds though it is very weird i mean uh, is it it's more serious than it sounds (laughs) yeah it's weird it's more sincere than it sounds yes that's the right word i would say it is more sincere than it sounds um I really love it. It's one of my favorite games now. <laughs> Edith Finch came out on my birthday and I bought it as a birthday present to myself. And it was a very lovely birthday that I had playing it on a couch being miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, really love Edith Finch. It I actually went into it not knowing that every story in it was about death. I just yeah. went into it knowing it was an anthology of stories about family. And I sort of, it slowly dawned on me. I was like, oh my God, I think every single story is going to be about how a character died, which is great because I love that shit. I love that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very excited. <laughs> I, I, I like miserable stuff. Same. And yeah, I just, I just, I was completely sold on it from the first moment you see the house. I loved the design of it. I loved the way that they 
messed around with narrative structures and storytelling strategies. I just, I love everything about Edith Finch. I really love it. It is a really gorgeous game. Alex, you just played this game. How did you like it? Uh, yeah, like I literally played it yesterday. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, yesterday. I played it like yesterday. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it was really innovative. I don't think that I have a lot to say about it. Honestly, like it was just, it was very good. Um, but to me, I feel like I didn't click with it as much as you two have. I don't know why. Like, I genuinely don't know why. I didn't feel much emotion. I felt obviously like quite sorry for some of the characters, particularly Sam and Dawn. Um, but I don't know. Aspects of it just didn't click with me. Yeah, that's fair. Also, I feel like I should mention now because I totally forgot, but we will be talking about spoilers of the games. Um, we haven't <laughs> thus far. I mean, we've gotten kind of spoilery. I mean, Edith Finch's <laughs> premise is that everyone is dead. Well, if you didn't know that, like I did, that would be... No, that's fair, that's fair. That is literally the premise <laughs> of the game. All you have to do is Sometimes read a Sometimes you could go in very, very blind. That's true. I feel like if you um, want to go in very blind, they wouldn't listen to this episode, hopefully. Anyways, true. yeah, if you haven't played these games yet, especially Edith Finch, go go play it and like experience it for yourself because it is worth it. Really go play it. Um, okay, so then let's talk a little bit about how we liked that Dragon Cancer because that is a game I've been meaning to play for ages. Um, earlier this year, Alex and I went to see a documentary, <laughs> the, the documentary about it, thank you for playing. Um, and Alex didn't entirely realize what it was going to be about. Oh, I had no idea what it was <laughs> He read the synopsis, no. I think. I, I oh, no. skimmed the synopsis. I read that it was about a couple that made a video game. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I kind of just assumed that everyone who like played games knew about this game, and I yeah, was yeah. I was somewhat wrong there. Um, oh, <laughs> so we got we got there and we sat down in the cinema, and the lady next to us was like, "Hey, did you bring tissues?" And we were like, "Oh no!" <laughs> Luckily, she had some spares that she gave to us because we did really <laughs> need them. <laughs> um, yeah, that was kind of our first experience with the game. Though I read quite a lot about it when it first came out because. I was very interested in its storytelling, but I was always too scared to play it because I was like, it will ruin me. Um, so Alex and I played it over the weekend, and I'm not going to talk about this more. Alex, what do you think about it? I loved it. <laughs> I, th I think there's going to be like that opposite thing where you two really preferred Edith Finch, and I really <laughs> liked uh, that Dragon Cancer. I think that's good. That's good. I think I really... Yeah, that is good. I liked the, the deep sincerity and the honesty of the... Um, the people, I don't want to say the characters because they're not just characters, they're people mm. um, in the story and uh, the way that uh, the relationship plays out where these two people uh, have to deal with grief in different ways. I thought it was just very powerful and very moving and I cried a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you were crying and I was like, when am I going to start crying? <laughs> Why aren't I crying yet? I was actively not look looking at you because I was like, I swear to God, if I look at you and you're not crying. <laughs> <laughs> I am genuinely surprised. I was just like in a, a heartless mood that day, I guess. At that point, I knew that I was my best friend was a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't cry either in that dragon cancer. I think, I mean, I do cry in media, but I don't just cry when I cry when my particular buttons are pushed. Yeah. And it didn't push those buttons. Or at least at one point, it kind of did. I did get very teary in one moment. But other than that, I was pretty dry. <laughs> I guess that's kind of like, yeah, maybe Edith Finch pushed the button that you both have. I, that sounds really inappropriate. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I actually <laughs> cried that much in Edith Finch, but I definitely had, I felt emotions. I didn't cry in Edith Finch. I got choked up. Yeah, I got choked up. I got choked up, but I didn't actually cry. I can't remember the last time I actually, 
Oh, wait, yes, I can probably pyre. I think one thing that I felt with Edith Finch is that I knew every death was coming in a way. And mm. it almost plays each scene out for so long that by the time that it actually hits the emotion has gone past building up to the like a point of diminishing returns where it starts to like I'm I've been waiting for it for a little too long. <laughs> I actually have a personal anecdote relating to that point. Can I tell you my story? Yes, yeah, go, go ahead. On. So I forgot how swings work when oh, I played Edith Finch. That freaking that freaking vignette took me so long to do. Oh my god. I was just like just fall off the swing already, please. I swear to god I was moving my legs in the right way. I swear to god I was swinging my legs right, but apparently I wasn't because I spent about 5 minutes very slowly working my way up. <laughs> Could not do it. Tried switching around when I pressed forward, when I pressed back and got it in about 3 seconds. Oh my god, it took me so long. I don't know if it's because my computer was lagging so like my buttons weren't working right or something, but I spent like ten minutes on that vignette, just like when is it supposed to go this long? It What's did happening? Take a really long time. Now, in my situation, I can tell you exactly what it was, and it was because I forgot how swings work. Wait, we, we, yeah, that that's a little bit embarrassing, Candy. Once I worked out how swings worked, I got it in about three swings. But boy, but no, I, I, in comparison to Alex, I have a bit more patience with that sort of thing. So I got, I got all, you know, oh, it's coming. I, I like that feeling of inevitability and that feeling that you know. At some point, it's going to hit. So that really worked for me. I, I definitely like it to a point, but I feel like, yeah, you just, you wait too long. For me, I think it was, yeah, the swing one and kind of Lewis's one. I really liked Lewis's one a lot, so I don't know that it necessarily applies. But I think it was just like, I had gotten the point of it long before it was over. Well, I was convinced in Lewis's one that I was going to cut my hand off, so I was actually quite glad that it didn't go in that direction. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting that as well, because yeah. I was like, man, this feels like ADHD, and I know what happened with mm. ADHD here. <laughs> um, yeah, I found Lewis's, Lewis's, <sighs> it's got some choices stuff in there that I'm like, yeah, with my chaining narrative thing that, you know, I have. Oh, yeah. 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 And I was like, this, go this backs up my theories that I already have, um, but I'm not going to go into that right now, because that's a totally different conversation. Maybe Molly's went on a bit too long, but that's because I was stuck on Molly's for a very long time and I was terrible at swooping as the owl. I do oh, have the achievement, so but it took me a very long time to get that achievement. I got the achievement on my first try. Well, fuck you, buddy. Oh, just one more thing on that note. Yes. Uh, an example of one that I really did like was Sans, because I actually didn't <gasps> see it coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't know what would happen with Sam. Sam was the yeah. photography one, yeah? Yeah, yeah, the photography that was one. Good. I just, I kind of forgot that it was going to be a death thing, <laughs> to be honest, because it was just this really nice anecdote of a father-daughter camping trip, hunting trip. I got excited about the photos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. And then, obviously, like, it was quite upsetting uh, when Dawn has to kill a deer and she's Aww. very upset, but then the deer ends up killing her dad and, and that it's such, like, a freak accident kind of thing that it played out really well it was very shocking yeah that's fair that's very fair i it's really interesting yeah seeing the differences between what we liked and didn't like so i was like oh no is this going to be a gay a, a podcast episode we were like what remains of Edith Fitch is so good and that dragon cancer was you know all right <laughs> <laughs> i'm really glad that you like that dragon cancer more than we do yeah <laughs> okay so how in general do we all think that games can break and heal hearts because obviously we all love games and game narrative in general as well, a lot, and have been, you know, hurt by games, but also, you know, been healed by games. Like when, I mean, 
a lot of people our generation know that when we've been going through rough times as teenagers or young adults, we kind of turned to games and games were what we used to get through those hard times. And like, I mean, when my mom died, I just played a lot of Kingdom Hearts. Like, <laughs> I 100% of Kingdom Hearts 2 without any guide. That's how much I played that game. That was kind of my coping mechanism because that game is, you know, about hope. It's about friendship and love and hope in the end. Um, and these stories kind of can help with that. But at the same time, they can be like these games, which tell less positive stories in some ways and deal with the topic of death. I've gone on a long ass tangent. <laughs> it's a good tangent though. Yeah. yeah All right. <laughs> Kenty, I'm going to ask you to take over from me because I'm, I'm dying. No. Okay. I think the particular power of games is obviously in the interactivity because that's the thing that, you know, separates them from other media. Really. Yeah. And just the way that it can help, like healing is a process and a process is something that you have to do. Uh, so I think, I feel like with games where you are actively, uh, immersing and engaging in something and you are going through the process of healing, whether it be your own or the characters, um, that, well, yeah, it starts to affect the audience. And I think it probably in some cases like that dragon cancer helps the creator as well. Yeah, that's very fair. It's all about processes. Yeah, processes is a very good way to put it. And yeah, games are very much something that you kind of dive into. They're procedural. They are. Except some for games when they're are not. procedural. <laughs> Candy, do you have any thoughts on that in particular? Sorry, I'm tweeting. How dare you? I don't have much to add on that. Video games have never sort of filled that space for me. I grew up in the sort of situation where, like, video with the sort of family where video games were like the bad thing. So I never really have lots of fond childhood memories of video games or situations where I used video games to get me through a hard situation in general. Well, I mean, like in general, how like because you have games that you definitely feel emotional over and have gotten invested in, right? Oh yeah, like, higher. yeah. <laughs> like um, what do you think? What 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 is it that these games do, and like what is it about their medium that helps create that feeling? I like how games make you take responsibility for what's going on. It's like what we were talking about in the beginner's guide, how you're complicit in everything. Mm. Like this is this is a pyre example, but I lost some matches in pyre that were pretty important, and I felt pretty terrible about losing them. And it actually bothered me for a long time. It was about three a.m. in the morning, which I blame on that. But I felt really terrible about it for a long time. But by the end of the game, I'd sort of come to accept that that was just how these things go. And it was actually one of my favorite all-time video game endings because I was so responsible for the, the good bits and the bad bits. So I guess a lot of it is just about the fact that you know that when things go badly, who's responsible, whether it's you or whether it's, you know, written into the game, which is nice. Yeah, I remember when I played Mass Effect 2 for the first time and I got to the, like, final suicide mission thing and characters can die. And the first time I played it, I got Garrus eaten by a swarm of bugs. Oh my god! And I was so distraught, I had to put down the game, and I went and took a shower, and I cried. <laughs> I stood in the shower crying. Oh god. So yeah, I think, I mean, because it was my fault, it was my choices that did that. I was like, oh my god, I killed my best friend in this game. Okay, well, I really gotta play Mass Effect. God damn. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I want to just go back to really quickly is I just want to thank you for saying complicit. Thank you. I know. I tried really hard in that. I heard hey, like anyone, the minor stress on that. Anyone who uh, tuned into our last episode may have noticed that we said the word implicit a lot when really we meant complicit. Yeah. I think maybe there was one time Seth said implicit 
and actually meant implicit. Yeah. And then you just ran with it. <laughs> and then I just, I was like, yeah, that's the word I'm using. <laughs> and then I just got sucked into it because I do that. I had had a fair bit of Irish cream. Oh, yes. It's always the Irish cream. <laughs> always the Irish cream. It's not the Irish cream today. No, it's not. It's the, whatever that is, juniper. It's the Crystal. crystal but not, not the expensive kind. <laughs> uh, there's, there's some stuff that I did in Life is Strange, where Life is Strange is like, you made the wrong choice here and now you're bad. And I was kind of mad because it seemed a bit unfair. Whereas Pyre never made me feel like it was unfair. Pyre never, I guess it's kind of a balance of like, when I mean, it comes to games that- We could do an entire fucking episode yeah. on Pyre. I love Pyre. I really want to do an episode on Pyre, honestly. <laughs> When it comes to games telling emotional stories and whatever, um, there's more of a kind of boom in recent years of telling more artsy and personal and, you know, walking simulator kind of stories like with Gone Home and oh, Edith Finch. Walking simulators. <laughs> Edith Finch, I say, as if that's not the game we're talking about. Um, Sorry, I, I, heard, I heard someone say that you should call them walk-em-ups. And I really like calling them walk-em-ups. <laughs> I want to, yeah, walk-em-ups and shooting simulators. simulators. Have it's you guys good. played Everyone's Gone to the Rapture? Because that's all my No, but I keep yes. meaning to. Should I well, play it, I, Alex? I played the first chapter of it. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that's kind of come under it as well. Like, the, the kind of artsy games. The, the more indie stuff. Because indie is very big at the moment. Yeah. Um, which is great. I love it so much. Because the indie games are so good. And they kind of capture the stories that I couldn't find in the video store when I was a kid. Um, in games like Edith Finch and That Dragon Cancer are kind of part of that new kind of generation of storytelling. Um, and they also, yeah, give you a chance to talk about like actual real experiences as opposed to just writing about them. I think, what's her name? Rachel? Amy. Amy. Amy Green, the mother um, in That Dragon Cancer and also the real life mother, I think wrote a book about this son's death. Oh, really? I read on the Wikipedia page. I oh, didn't actually look into it. So uh, she's a writer as well. So she she wrote her grief. Well, she she kind of channeled that into writing herself. Um, whereas her husband, what the hell's his name? Ryan. Didn't didn't she write the game? Mm, wasn't, wasn't she a no. Oh. I think they both did oh, writing. Okay. But I know Ryan did quite a lot of writing. At least because I saw it in the documentary. <laughs> Yeah, I, I saw I, him writing in the I documentary. I honestly think I would like the documentary more than the game. The documentary was very good. Because I re- the, the game didn't work for me in so many ways. Not That, that sounds like so many ways. I don't mean in, in, you know, some specific ways is what I mean. The game didn't work for me in some specific ways, and I feel like I would actually get way more invested in the documentary. Because it was the little peaks into its real life that really made me, like, whenever, whenever you know, they're playing bits that sound like home videos... That really got me. Look, can I say something? And this this might get better edited out later, but I want to say it while it's still fresh in my head. So, you know, put it wherever it works. What I'm thinking about is that there's a couple of different ways of writing about grief. And that dragon cancer is sort of written in the process of grief because it's written during, you know, it's it's all about the process of Joel dying. Hmm. Whereas a lot of the stories Edith Finch is telling are sort of hindsight grief. It's the grief after somebody's died because a lot of the stories, while the stories are about how they died, a lot of the text and all of the narrative is about how people thought back to it after they died. Yeah. Yeah. Am I, is, that, is that accurate? Is that actually – yeah, because like yeah. Lewis, is, yeah, yeah. it's the so, stories of people, but it's being told through the lens of what happens afterwards. Like they're telling so we, their own stories, but you're getting it from a post point of view. Mm. And, and I think – that's what appeals to me more about Edith Finch is that I'm much more interested in stories about grief, about dealing with grief after somebody's died. Whereas, 
Like that that's why I was saying before that that dragon cancer in terms of grief it didn't really resonate with me because it was the process of it happening. If the dragon cancer had been after Joel had died it would have come across to me as a very different story. I'm going to think about that more as we go on. Well, um, the majority of the game was redone after I think the majority quite a bit of the game was redone after he died because mm. they were making it when they weren't sure what would happen. But no, I I totally understand what you mean. Yeah. But it's about while it's happening. It's all about wh- how they respond to You know, so much of it is about Amy's confidence that they're going to get a miracle and all that stuff. Yeah, I think the strongest part of that game for me was when they were on the when, when Amy and Joel are on the boat and they're going towards the lighthouse and you can tell that's kind of them having to come to terms with him dying, but Amy's still... Like, they both have different ways of coping with it. Like, Amy is talking about faith and a miracle, whereas Ryan is drowning and he doesn't want to come up from that. He wants to kind of wallow in his grief Mm. and i think that was kind of the most powerful bit for me for me too the bit where i got quite teary in that dragon cancer is the bit where he's sitting on the dock playing the guitar and he's giving you that religious stuff about how he doesn't you know all of the religious stuff is what really got me about that dragon cancer i'm sure we can discuss that later because i know you want to talk about religion and there's a better place to put it but I think that I was that, that's just what resonated with me, the, the loss of faith whole part of it. But, and I went really off trans. What I was actually trying to say was the stuff about how uh, the process of grief and like, well, I mean, it's, it's all grief, but during someone's death and after someone's death are two different ways of telling stories about death. Yeah, definitely. In general. I yeah. think maybe that's conversely why I like The Dragon Cancer because I think, uh, I think, for me, you got more investment because uh, you had a limited uh, occupancy in that dragon cancer. You sort of, you had mm. Joel and you had uh, Ryan and Amy. The two other uh, brothers were there, but sort of, you know, it wasn't about them. And because you had that limited occupancy, it was so much more about their specific feelings. It was more, uh, yeah, more personal to the feelings of the characters. And I think that's why it moved me more as it was much more... Uh, Hmm. about emotion and about processes and about uh, how they had to deal with things. And yet that for me too, that most powerful bit was um, when Amy's on the boat and uh, not Joel, Ryan is drowning and he comes up to the surface and they argue and he says, you have to let me feel this and dives back down to keep drowning um, I remember you keep trying to make him swim up and he just wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I honestly thought that I was supposed to help him get out and then... Yes, me too, me too, me too. I, I feel that. <laughs> I was so confused why he wouldn't get out. I was like, come on, buddy, you're so close to the surface of the water, just a little bit further. And I was like, oh, this is intentional. Yeah. I think that's one of the cool things about games. Yeah. It's like, because anyone's instinct would be to to get to the surface to stop yourself from drowning. But the way that that like, that doesn't let you do that. You have to go down demonstrates how exactly his thought processes were working and how for him, it's what he had to do. Well, you have just taken to me to actually remember my actual favorite part of the game, which is the exact same thing, which is when you're stuck in the hospital room and Joel won't stop crying. Oh, oh yeah. my God, that was I remember so upsetting. that was one that I'd read about before the game came out because a lot of people had feelings on it. Yeah, I, I did not know that was coming and that was hand, that was actually, not never mind the doc bit, that was the bit that really got me when you can, you can get out of the room, but that's not how the sequence is going to end. The sequence isn't going to end with you avoiding 
this horrible, horrible, like not not horrible, mess, this really tragic, tragic screaming and crying that was really a, hard to bear, but it was very powerful that you're just stuck in there with it and you just have to ride it out. That was my favourite part of the game. I honestly thought where that was going was that he was praying for it to stop and that that was when Joel died. <laughs> that would have been cruel. Oh, that would be tragic. <laughs> I love that. I can see that happening in a non-autobiographical game. Yeah. <laughs> I love how I'm, my reaction is I love that and Seth's like, oh, that's so cruel. <laughs> I mean, it's cruel. It's cruel. I would like it in a fictional story. In a real one, no, that's too mean. And that's exactly why I liked Edith Finch more than that Dragon Cancer, because I love tragedy and, like, inevitable tragedy is something that I really love. So the whole story of, at the end of this story, this character is going to die, but you're going to see how that went down worked for me so well. Yeah, that's kind of my favorite thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I've talked about this, like, a million times to a million different people, but I love that, like, slow, tragic march towards death that you know oh, is going to happen. You kind yes, of avoid as much as you want. I love jam. it in games. Oh, my God. Have either of you seen Dancer in the Dark? No, but I've been meaning to say it ever since I re-listened to the last episode and you said it was your favourite film. It is is my favourite film. It is exactly what you're describing. I mean, I I say I love it. I love it more in, like, the things I think of in games because it's like Halo Reach as you have it in the final level and also Crisis Core, which is one of my favourite games as well. I was about to say the one video game thing that really worked at the end of Crisis Core. Yeah, Crisis Core does it so well. (laughs) I like a lot when games um, make you play as the character that's, like walking towards death kind of um which i think is why i liked edith finch is because it makes you it makes you do it (laughs) like it makes you make those choices like in edith finch i think the thing that resonated with me so much is that like when you're the kid on the swing or you're the baby in the bath or those kinds of things is that you or even lois like (laughs) with his little vignette um you you know where those characters are going and you know what they're doing but you're still like they're kind of so enmeshed in their own little worlds that it's fun to kind of follow along with it but also you do it with the knowledge that you are killing that person <laughs> that you are that person at that time and you're choosing to die somewhat like you as the player choose to die obviously the baby isn't like i'm gonna drown myself <laughs> he's just like i'm gonna enjoy my fun little world with all my little toys and it's really Aww. like exciting and musical yeah. and beautiful and i love that vignette so much because it's so much fun um but that's like i think why those games resonate with me is that when i'm playing them i'm like playing it and doing these things and making these choices with the knowledge that i am killing this person <laughs> Yeah, that, that moment when you think you think games are about not not in Edith Finch, but in some games where you think it's about to end and then it makes you do it, like like yeah. the end of Crisis Core, where you're like, oh come on, this could have been a cutscene, but you're going to make me do it, and it's so good. <laughs> I love that. I love that. On the topic, like of uh, Gregory's scene, um, where he's yeah, he's the baby in the bathtub, and he's got this frog, and he imagines it coming to life. And then it bounces around and it brings everything else in the bathtub to life. And then it knocks down the whale and that whale comes to life. (laughs) And then it bounces on the whale and it keeps knocking things into the bathtub. And then he's swimming in the bottom of the bathtub. And that just reminded me, like, it's, there's that way that that childhood innocence and joy is portrayed in contrast to the shock of death. Yeah. And that's done in that Dragon Cancer as well. And I feel like they both do it really, really well. Because even though I knew what was coming for that one, that vignette still really got to me because you had that sheer joy and then sheer defeat. <laughs> I actually remember with Gregory having this having this point, which was almost on the verge of egg of eye rolling, where I was like, Oh great, now you're gonna make me play the two year old drowning in the bathtub. And I had a I had a moment of like cynicism. And then I just went with it, and it was one of the loveliest levels in the game. 
Yeah, I think when I was when we were doing Dra- that Dragon Cancer and you get to the end of that game and it like because that game is quite dark. <laughs> like it's like these people, their child is dying and they're trying to grapple with that fact. At the end, when you go to heaven or like, yeah, Ryan visits Joel or you visit Joel in heaven and he's there and he's got his giant pancakes and he's got his dog and there's bubbles and he's just so happy. And he's in his little child heaven where every like he's not in pain. He's not thirsty. He's not hungry. He's fine. And then, yeah, you get Gregory and, and like, also a lot of the other vignettes is that it's people finding, like, even when they die, they've kind of found peace in that. Like, they, they're doing something they love. And with Gregory, like, he's got that little happy child innocence, like you said. And he's he's found his own little world. And so when he dies, for him, it's not a bad thing. He just kind of fell into that world. Um, I think that's kind of why these games don't <laughs> completely destroy yours, because they balance out the fact of death with the hope of something better afterwards and that kind of belief well, in the characters finding something better. And also a celebration of life. Yeah, yeah, celebration I mean, of life as it is. I was going to, sorry, Alex, if you were about to say this, because I know we all probably wanted to say this, but the thing about Edith Finch in particular, which that dragon cancer doesn't have, is that Edith Finch, every, I don't know if I'd say that there was a promise of the afterlife in Edith Finch in the same way, because I never got the impression that, the, you know, there was... I, I don't want to say I don't even got the impression there was an afterlife, but it's not about there being an afterlife. Well, no, it's not, yeah. The yeah. impression that I got from Edith Finch is that every single character who dies, every single character who dies, dies living their life in the exact way that they wanted to to make them happy. Whereas that dragon cancer, actually when I went to heaven at the end, I was quite, up, up, not upset, but um, it was such a simple idea of what heaven was. You know, it was such a... And and I, I, I a lot of that dragon cancer that worked for me is, you know, this is what the parents are imagining and this is what the parents want and this is how the parents understand religion. And the idea that if the parents could imagine Joel in heaven, that's all he'd have. He'd just be in a forest with a dog eating pancakes. That that was really sad. Well, I, I think, think those are the things that made him happy. I think it wasn't so much that he's just he's forever in a forest with that, but like he's he's happy, like yeah, it's the things that make him happy and like it's a like, even though it's their view of heaven, it's still their view of a child's view of heaven. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're thinking of what he would want. Like, what yeah. they would want, obviously, is, like, a good health care and a nice <laughs> home for him and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and someone to it look was, after it was, him. It was such a simple way for him to end, I guess. It was, it was lovely. It was nice. Yeah. It was One thing very... I want to say about what you said about um, every character in Edith Finch sort of doing what, how they living how they wanted to live towards the end of their lives, I don't think applies to every character. Who do you think it doesn't? I mean, I guess uh, the grandma. Who um, well, M- Molly seems to have died because she got sent <laughs> to... Ate mistletoe. Uh, she, Holly. Yeah, she ate poisonous berries after she got sent yeah. to a room without dinner, mm. which just seems really tragic to me. Well, I think, like, even with her, like, she did that, but she could tell something was wrong. Like, she, she had the mm. strength of mind to write it all down in general. Yeah. She said this fellow who listened to her trip and was like, you know what, that, that's fun, I'm good with this, I'm, I'm out, bye. That's true. And a lot of it is because the stories are being told by other people. So, like, the kid on the swing, maybe he wasn't happy, but it, everyone else can think back on him going, well, at least, you know, he ended by flying off into he space. He wanted to be an astronaut, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so cynical and miserable, my God. The, the main one, though, was Lewis, in that he... Uh, killed himself because well, he it's it's told in this way that it uh, portrays the beauty of the narrative and the world in his mind yeah um but 
that was almost a dissociative state where yeah, Lewis was sad. Yeah. Lewis was sad. He created that to escape from the reality of withdrawal and working in a cannery and losing <laughs> his brother. I mean, yeah, Lewis is a sad, but in another way, like it's still happy. I mean, like, I mean, Although, I'm saying this is as someone who's lost her mother yeah. to suicide. Like it's kind of that thing of suicide's not good. And if you are contemplating it and listening to this podcast, please, please talk to a counselor or a therapist because life is good. Um, but like, when you're in those dark places, like having that kind of world and escapism and place to go is still like, not not necessarily the killing yourself thing is good, but having that kind of escapism in some form to help you deal with it mm. is good. And yeah. as far as Lewis went, was not healthy for him, but he had that kind of place to go that was good and happy and that he could like control things and do what he possibly could never do. At yeah, least where he so. was in life at the moment. Like, I mean, like, it's sad, like, and, and to the people, like, outside of it, it is very sad, but for him, it wasn't. Mm. In a way, you could say that it was, it's, a, it's an agency thing, because they all sort of died. Not with agency, but in a way that was okay by their standards. Yeah, I think, I think like, the thing for me is that, like, you play the characters as they are. Like, you, pl- you play as the characters in their vignettes. Like, you get the story kind of from other points of view as well, but you play as those characters in their, their lives. Eyes, yeah. And in their eyes, they are fine with where they are when they die, kind of. Like, Lewis is happy in his, like, imaginary world where he's being crowned king, even if he's not happy in the real world. Like... Well, did anyone else think it was weird that the um, Lewis's therapist had sent his mum a letter like that? Because the Lewis's vignette is the letter that yeah. the therapist sent to the mum. I would think if I was in that mum's position, I'd be like, how dare you? <laughs> um, it's yeah. just, it's, it's... It's not something I thought about, honestly. It's interesting. It's, it's not, yeah. No, I, as I was reading it, I was all like, this is not right. But I'm also not going to question it because <laughs> it'll ruin the story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, a little bit of... Um, it just feels like torment to Dawn. Yeah. I mean, Dawn's entire life has been torment. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's why... It sh- yeah. Dawn is the character I feel most sorry for because... Yeah, poor Dawn. <laughs> Dawn she just loses everybody. <laughs> yeah. I Oh, one thing. I liked that you had the option to uh, make Lewis gay. Yeah, I made him so gay. Bisexual. Yeah, know, same. Interested in um, men. I've been just playing cool these character. games recently that make you think about architecture in games, which isn't something that I usually think about. Architecture is a weird word, but... When you go into the Edith Fidge house, and that house is that house is almost a character. It's <laughs> yeah. You were putting up mm. photos before Alex on Twitter of the cookbooks in the house, and like the fact that there's there's nonstop salmon in the house, and it takes you a very long time to find out why they have a shit ton of salmon. I just, I just I just really liked the house and the way that it made me think about video game design. Same sort of thing like when I played The Witness last year and had to reevaluate a whole lot of thoughts I had about architecture and that sort of shit. I don't know. I had a point and then I lost it. <laughs> Architecture can tell you a lot in a game. Like it's, I mean, it's it's a whole another aspect of narrative design, it's level design and stuff. And like the the entirety of Edith Finch is so polished to tell the story that it's telling, and the house just does that so beautifully. Something that a lot of people point out is that um the books are all repeated. <laughs> like there's yeah. only a few books in the actual house itself, yeah. and like people are like, but in the game with so much detail, why is this happening? And I'm just like. I don't know, maybe it means something, maybe it's just they didn't want to make a whole bunch of book well, pictures. Well, I feel like that's a great segue to That Dragon Cancer's <laughs> Hall of Greeting Cards. Oh, yeah, that was something. Oh, you wow, almost did that I intentionally. That. that was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, was totally intentional, I swear. I mean, I was reading some interesting reviews about it, talking about how 
this wasn't my personal experience. Well, it kind of was, but I, I, I don't want to pretend these were my words. But the whole idea of starting in that room where there are like 10 letters and so you go around and you, out of obligation, I felt you sort of, you read them all and then you're like, okay, what's next? And you go out and there are just, there are more cards than you could ever possibly read. And each one is so personal, which is interesting because I mean, I knew they were written by real people, but they didn't feel, I don't want, no, I don't want to say what I'm about to say, never mind. <laughs> they didn't feel real to you? No, no, but there was one or two that I screenshot because I thought they were really lovely, but they weren't, they didn't feel like they were written by thousands of different people because there wasn't anything hugely unique in them. They, they all had pretty standard sad card messages and a lot of it was just the fact that these are people actually writing cards. They're not, they're not right. You know, there's a bit in the beginner's guide where you go into the cave, which is designed to be the massively multiplayer online game. Oh yeah. And everybody's left messages and the messages, the messages tell you a story. The messages give you ideas. The messages are all unique and they're interesting. And of course the messages are all written by one person trying to be a thousand different people. And then you read the cards in that dragon cancer and they don't. And so they're almost not as fun to read, but that's because they are real. And in reality, that's what we write. We don't come up with clever stuff that gives hints to the plot. We just come up with sincere stuff using words that maybe people have used before, but that means so much to us. The, the, the beginner's guide one is fake, but more fun to read. And the, that dragon cancer one is sincere and as such is, all, is less fun to read. You also get um, in the scenes with all the water and the boat, etc. All the uh, messages in bottles, which are similar to those cards in that they're messages, I, th- I think, from real people. Yeah, they're yeah, real um, things. But they're more long-form anecdotes about people's particular experiences with grief and with cancer. And it's interesting how it's almost like the more words we get to use, the more powerful they become. I don't know. That's not that's quite, quite the point that I want to make. But, no, uh, no, I see the point you're making. It, it d- gets d- a chance to be more individual that way. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like exactly. when it's just like a small card where it's just like, I miss you. And which- that's the weakness of greeting cards. You know, when the yeah. greeting card is being passed around the <laughs> office and everyone signed it and you're like, you've got two centimeters worth of space to write I remember message, when I got. Like, you were my favorite coworker, and you're leaving and all I can write is bye. I remember when I got a card from my classmates after my mom died um, oh my and someone wrote in it, I hope you get better soon. Oh, no. <laughs> I like, I read it and I was, I mean, she wasn't really someone I knew. She was just had been in the same class as me for like the, sa- the, the same year. And I read that and I was like, ah, yes, that seems very typical of you to write. <laughs> So true. I mean, she wrote something unique enough for me to remember it ten years later. <laughs> but um, with those bottles and everything, there was also like that small little story within those about that girl who played that game, Legend of Terrace, Legends of Terrace, um, and her mother wrote to the game designer to tell him that that had happened, and he wrote back and um, sent her like the screenshot of her of her character, kind of like through text because it was a text based game um and that's kind of another example of how like that was how she got her happiness and lived her life in those last while when she was really sick when she played that game yeah it's another like within the game about grief they showed how games can help with grief like that classic animal crossing mum with ms story you guys know that one 
Um, I think so. It goes around the internet all the time, the little comic about how her mum died of multiple sclerosis, but her mum played a lot of Animal Crossing, and when she sat back down with Animal Crossing, it turned out that her mum had spent all of her time sending her nice things. I think it, I th- I th- I, oh, if you guys haven't seen that, you should look it up. Although I do think, in, I think a lot of people have pointed out after the limit that you have, you do have an in-character, in-game mum who is probably leaving her all the nice cards. Oh. But it's a nice story. Um, <laughs> before we move on, I really want to quickly say <laughs> that the saddest part of that dragon cancer for me was when we killed the duck. You killed the duck? Do you remember that at the start? Oh, <laughs> you guys no. killed the duck? What um, the okay, hell? so like at the first little bit you play where you throw like bread at the duck, yes. Alex like threw the bread at the duck and then like the like knocked the duck into the water and it disappeared. Oh my god, you killed the duck! <laughs> and so there was no, like, so Joel was just throwing bread at like an empty lake. <laughs> Honorable mentions of other stories that have done this to us because <laughs> we went and saw a monster calls like last month because <laughs> Alex and I love going to see happy, lovely movies about people not dying. Um, <laughs> and that like when that book came out, it destroyed me because that book is just beautifully told between Patrick writing and the illustration. And that movie is like really intense too about loss and grief and learning to let go and being okay with that. I really liked how A Monster Calls was both about dealing with cancer, but also about how stories can help heal that. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it was It was meta in that sense. <laughs> um, you know, I think the thing that, like, helps, like, with me personally, like, things that heal me most with these kinds of fictions is when, like, in That Dragon can not in That Dragon Cancer, that's the wrong one, in A Monster Calls, there's the bit where um, Connor just, he just kind of destroys everything. He go- he kind of blacks out and just destroys mm. everything in the room. And having gone through that kind of grief myself, like I totally, totally understand that that kind of anger that you just cannot contain, like the anger and the exhaustion just- and just unable to get release it any other way is, is a totally real thing of grief. I think that dragon cancer also shows it when Amy and Ryan have that argument. And mm. like, those are the things that like, they're the things that resonate with me as someone who's gone through these things because they capture like, when it comes to grief, like, it's sad. It is sad to lose someone, and it's lonely. And then they show the hopeful moments and the nice moments when people come together. But if it doesn't show the anger and the desperation and the struggling, like, the ways you have to dig yourself out of these holes, it doesn't ever resonate with me the same because it's not as real. Like, it, I think when it comes to finding fiction that helps to heal as opposed to just kind of feels hollow, having real real experiences and real emotions whether or not you've actually experienced it is important and being able to display like all those different kinds of feelings something that blew my mind when i was a kid was the end of the fifth harry potter book (laughs) after sirius has died and harry loses his shit i remember that scene the bit where he's trashing dumbledore's office shouting and he's so angry that blew my mind i forgot about that yeah that was really good all right so any final thoughts on these games you two play them yeah, play them. Buy them. <laughs> yeah, buy them. Support the creators. <laughs> Support the developers because <laughs> they're good developers. <laughs> I think my final thing is that I think that interactive storytelling-wise, Edith Finch definitely has a lot more strength as a game. Like, as no, a no, game, no. yeah. Like, yeah, as a game it does, but like when it comes to that Dragon Cancer being a personal storytelling experience, I don't think that matters because they're trying to tell a story in the way that works for them the most. Yeah, I've been, I see a lot of stuff about whether or not 
that Dragon Cancer is a game, a game. And honestly, fuck that. It's a game. That's not, that's not a conversation I want to have. The other thing is that I've talked about one of the scenes that really hit me, which is the uh, the bit where you're stuck in the room and Joel's crying. But the other scene, the scene that actually I remember because I, t- <laughs> I, I messaged you on Twitter and said, this game is falling really flat for me and I don't know why. And then I messaged about two seconds later and went, oh, wait, no, never mind. Because I got to the scene in the room where you can switch from perspective to perspective to perspective of each character oh. as Joel is getting diagnosed. Yeah. That was the scene where I was like, wait, okay, no, I'm into this now. I loved that. I remember one really that really bit. got us was um, the racing one where you are in the little cart and you drive around. Oh and it's God. really fun. It's really fun. Like you're hitting the cows and they move and you're laughing along with Joel and like speeding along. And it's really great. And then at the end, um, it comes up with all of the things that you picked up as like the different medications and medical procedures that Joel has gone through. And just in that time to like deal with his, with his cancer. And we, both of us are just like, oh, like, we, we actually out loud were just like, oh, my God. <laughs> there were so many. Yeah, it was intense. Like, that, I think. And those are things you can't capture if it's not a game. Like, if there's no interactivity, you can't capture these feelings in the same way. Mm. Which is the power of games. It's the power of interactive storytelling. And this is why I think the debate of whether or not these things are games, I'm like, that's bullshit. These are obviously yeah. games. And this is the best way to tell these stories. So, <laughs> on that happy note... <laughs> I swear next next episode maybe we'll pick up a lighter topic to talk about that isn't about manipulation or death. Maybe we should talk about happiness and fiction. Maybe we should actually. <laughs> oh god, that's so yeah, that is boring. It is boring. <laughs> Sorry. Although I would be interested though? in a post credits discussion about what we should do. Yeah, not we'll figure it out. It'll be a mystery yeah. for everybody, including ourselves. <laughs> You'll both turn up and I'll be like, "So we're talking about this today." <laughs> uh-uh. Open up my unwritten notes. <laughs> 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 we, we're going to be doing karaoke to some Natasha Biddingfield. Oh, no. You don't want that from me. Yes, I do. That's us for this episode. <laughs> All right. So, amazingly, we actually have a Twitter now that you can find. It's at T-I-G-E podcast. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we have a header image and everything. It's very exciting. You can also find the main Twitter for the network at NSFW Podcasts. Um, we are part of the Not Safe Work Network, which is directed by me, Saf. Uh, you can find the other podcasts, Queerly, there, Woe Nessie, The Lasso, and we're the fourth podcast. <laughs> we're the, I was like, there's four podcasts, we're the fourth one. <laughs> you can find this podcast on the Not Safe Work Network feed, or if you just want to listen to us, you can find us on our own feed, the Intergalactic Express. I'm Saf, you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlusten, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. You can also find me at my website, notsafework.com, where all these episodes also go up. Alex, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm Prince of Junez. It's like Prince of Junes. Or you can find me on Instagram at Heroes Feast. And very soon plural you'll find heroes. me. Plural Heroes. Yeah, the plural of Heroes. Very soon you'll also find me at Heroes Feast on WordPress. Woo! All right, Canty, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Canty Antics on Twitter. That's C-A-N-T-I Antics. And that's it. All right. Remember to subscribe and leave us a lovely review because we will appreciate it and we'll warm our cold, bitter hearts. We'll be back in two weeks. And thank you for joining us on the Intergalactic Express. Choo-choo. Still not doing it. (laughs) One day you're going to. (laughs) 